Hey everybody, it's James Tiley and Johnny Fry, and we're doing Digital Bytes. I bet you hear that all the time, don't you? This is the August 17th edition, where we had uh, quite a few interesting articles come up, and one that we probably don't do all that often. And then, uh, who was the guest later? What, what was that about, Johnny? Well, the, gr- the guest uh, later on is, is looking at um, our good old topic of, of crypto. Um, and what we're looking at um, in, in, in the guest article um, is how um, the crypto winter, um, you know, maybe it's driving innovation. And we've got a, a fellow Wall Street man, Drew Foreman, who's head of Cowan Digital. And Drew cut his teeth very much like yourself, James, in Wall Street. Um, trading derivatives and the like. I think he even went to the same sandwich shop. Um, and, um, you know, you, you certainly know, know um, where he was based. And he's come from that very traditional world. And now at Cowan Digital is very much focused on digital assets and talking to institutions about how they get exposed to this asset class, understanding the asset class um, and some of the challenges around that. And, you know, as I say, believes that the recent pullback in crypto crypto prices has yes knocked the froth off the market but it hasn't dented the enthusiasm and the interest in this as an asset class so yeah drew drew foreman from cam digital coming up after the break i look forward to that so that means we get to talk about cool things like muslims in the metaverse law commissions and proposals for digital asset oh my god johnny you always got something about law 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 <laughs> Well, you're such a bandit. I've got to try and keep you on the straight and narrow and make sure that you're being a good good man so you can sleep easy at night after you said your prayers. If we come up with any more imaginary laws, I'm just going to start making my own. <laughs> thou shalt not short sell. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not be rude about crypto. <laughs> Do only good every day. Yeah. That was Doge. Yeah. Well, something like that. Well, tell that to Mr. Musk, but that's a whole nother story. And then, and then, yes, the final one, we also talk about blockchain in agriculture um, and how the technology is disrupting farming. But but, but the one I'd like to kick off with, um, though, James, is this whole topic of Muslims in the metaverse, simply because, um, you know, there's, there's 1.8 billion um, people in the world that um, practice the Islamic faith. And we, we, we were asked by a reader to, to look at it, and it wasn't a subject that we are by no means an expert on, but, but looked at... Um, you know, if you take Citibank um, at face value, they're telling us that the metaverse by 2030 could be mu- worth as much as $13 trillion. Um, so that's getting on for two and a half times the size of the whole of Japanese economy, which is the third biggest economy in the world. So obviously the metaverse is really, really important. So we, we looked at what was happening um, and, and found a number of interesting examples of um, where um, the Quran is encouraging people um, and saying that they should stay away from pursuits which are frivolous, aimless, and unproductive. So bang goes a lot of the things that you and I do, James. Um, but what they're actually saying is that um, there are a number of different ways that we're seeing um, I- I- Islamic believers actually embracing um, what's going on. And there's a bank called Warbur, W-A-R-B-A uh, Bank, um, and, and it's actually was the first lender to enter the metaverse. So it intends to collaborate with its clients to introduce different products and services in, in, in the virtual reality. Um, and then of note, we've got the Kuwaiti government. Um, whilst it doesn't acknowledge cryptocurrencies for official transactions, um, 
it, and it restricts the banking industry, the metaverse cryptocurrencies can't be separated because, you know, very much a lot of the technology behind cryptocurrency metaverse, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, are intrinsic to the regulation operation of the metaverse itself. So interesting. We had, we've had a number of people who got really excited about it and said, well, thank you. It's been interesting to, to, to learn, understand some things are going, whereas other people um, are, are, are concerned that, you know, the extremists of the, uh, who have Islamic faith, that by writing about it, we're encouraging um, and giving, giving them airtime. But um, that isn't the intention. It was simply to look at some of the things that were going on um, by, um, you know, people, um, people that have Islamic faith. Well, even if you're a bad person, and by bad person, I mean someone who makes assumptions and judgments and prejudges any sort of situation, wouldn't you ask yourself, and, and this is actually a good legitimate question, so Sharia law is very much alive in the world, right? I've had some friends that uh, I've worked with in, in New York who are Muslim, right? And I, I used to get acquainted to, uh, they would take their time out for prayer. You know, and I'd be like, all right, I'm going to go have a cigarette while you do that. And, you know, everybody's happy. So how, if they can, if that way of life is completely functional in the real world, why wouldn't it be completely functional in a metaverse? Logically. Absolutely. And there should be no real distinction. Um, and, you know, and let's, let's put some numbers around this. If you look at, you know, the Crown Prince of Dubai... Um, they've unveiled their, as they call it, their Dubai metaverse strategy. They're looking to create 40,000 jobs and add 4 billion a year to the Dubai economy within the next five years. So, you know, it, it's basically looking to say, how do we build our economy out? And, and interesting, without giving too much away, we've got a, an article coming up in a couple of weeks looking at digital nomads. Uh, and and looking at the the tax that potentially is up for grabs by 2035, when it's estimated there could be um, a billion digital nomads. These are people that don't work for any fixed abode, um, work typically in different geographic jurisdictions, and allegedly, um, you know, on average, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year. Well, if we just assume a five percent tax. We're looking at something like $5.5 trillion a year of income tax. So you can understand now, forget the religion, but you can understand why we've seen the number of digital um, visas increase from 21 to 44 in the last 12 months. And this is nothing to do with religion, but it's all about governments waking up and realizing that some very highly skilled, typically young, mobile fit healthy individuals because a digital nomad is typically in their mid 30s um, if we can attract these people to our economies we could generate a lot of money a lot of tax and let's be honest with a, a global recession looming and high inflation governments are desperate for any money that they can from legitimate sources um, and if they can attract the right sort of people to pay taxes well why wouldn't they and whether that's in the metaverse or whether that's in the real verse i you know the the, the you know the what we were used to, then I, I can only see governments encouraging these types of double nomads. But but that's an article coming up in a in a week or so's time that we've been doing some research and looking at digital nomads and decentralized autonomous organizations. Right. I saw you the reference here where the uh the Prime Minister and Crown Prince of Dubai, 
unveiled an entire metaverse strategy, right? You're talking about 40,000 virtual jobs and $4 billion to the economy in the metaverse economy, I guess I would assume. Well, I, 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 again, it was interesting. It, it, this was part of their metaverse strategy, as we said. But I think it was saying, and I think this is what we're going to see. It's not going to be, people aren't just going to exist just in the metaverse. They're not going to exist just in, um, you know, the physical world. There's going to be increasing a blending, um, you know, in a funny way, James. Here we are. You're in. You're across the pond in the US. I'm. I'm here in the UK. And yet we're talking over the airways, courtesy of Zoom, and talking to you know potentially your your listenership goes out to four point six million people all over the world, and and you know we're 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 existing in a in a in a digital world, talking to physical people as they're commuting to work, sitting on a beach, I don't know, doing some cooking, half listening while they're watching TV. And and that sort of virtual real world blend is just going to increase and increase as we find our lives ever more increasingly becoming digitized in terms of what we do and how we do. So those 40,000 jobs, that four billion that um, the, the Crown Prince was talking about, uh, it's, it's a combination of, of real physical um, existence and monetary value that can be created from this virtual world. So it's exactly the same as the real universe. They're just all going right. to integrate. Which is good. It's just going to integrate, and I think that's the that's the key word I'd like to sort of you know leave leave this particular topic on, and that is you know regardless of your you know the, the color of your skin or your religion, um, you know we we need we the world's going to be a better place if we listen, if we understand, and we integrate. You know the days of saying you know I'm right, you're wrong, or vice versa. Um, you know we th- we need to learn and move on and. It's interesting. There's a lot of people going out and trying to be super inclusive and very woke, but actually, as soon as you hit a, as soon as you say something that they don't don't agree with, I think you've coined the expression. Um, you know, they, they, they become a keyboard warrior. They think somehow, un, behind the veil of a keyboard, and they can get on Twitter and they can start ranting away or in the metaverse. Oh, it's just my avatar. No one's going to really know me, and they feel in, emboldened. That they can make comments which perhaps they wouldn't necessarily make face to face. You wouldn't say that to my face, punk. <laughs> but uh, so, the, so the other, the other one of the other articles, I'd just like because you know, I'm, I'm not going to go through it because the, we do have an article that um, talking about the law commission and their proposals for digital asset reform. That's very much focused the UK, and whilst we have a, a strong um, listenership and readership. Um, in the UK, that's really something which is very much focused on one jurisdiction. But I would like to just briefly, uh, before the break, touch on um, blockchain in the agricultural sector and how it's disrupting um, farming. And and probably the key to this, without going through um, every single item that we've, we've actually uncovered, is that people increasingly want to know what are they eating, where does it come from? You know, is it something which is being produced from sustainable sources? Um, and is it something that, um, you know, I, I have some idea, a traceability to track and understand what it is. And we're seeing, as I say, I, I, I mean, make no apology for it. The key word that for me, having analysed and looked at the use of blockchain technology, um, is this whole thing of transparency. And what we're finding is that the blockchain technology, certainly agriculture sector, 
means that we can look and we can understand more and more about um, our, our supply chains and our sources of food and then make decisions accordingly in terms of what we buy we buy that particular um you know manufacturer of whatever it may be food stuff or another one based on understanding the sustainability the carbon footprint the esg credentials um and the long-term sustainability of of the food and that and blockchain technology is very easy um to actually help do that um, and, and one of the things which not many people have necessarily heard of but i think you're going to hear more and more of is this thing called vertical farming. Um, and this is where you have a controlled environment and, and the, the environment is almost as clean as you'd have in when you're making silicon chips. So it's super, super bug free. And essentially they're growing produce hydroponically, i.e. with um, water and artificial light to produce typically salad crops in the middle of a city, which means they can then um, harvest those crops and deliver those crops from literally growing to um, your, your shelves in a, in, a, in a local store within a matter of a few hours, which means they, they last longer. There's less of a carbon footprint um, from, you know, from doing that. And what we're finding is the, the, the use of blockchain technology um, is, is helping people to understand and get across this more healthy ecosystem that it then allows. I think I learned more about vertical farming in this article than anything else. You're right. No, I hadn't heard. You know, I'm not a farmer. Y'all don't know. I live in Georgia, but this this makes sense for um, ESG credits, like you were saying for sure. Ninety eight percent less water. Yep. Ninety nine percent less land. land. Yeah. So yeah, so it's yeah, it's in, in, in interesting, and, and I say as as people get more information. They can make better decisions, but to get that information, you've got to make sure it's coming from a, a trusted source and, and have that greater transparency. So, um, yeah, so that's another article which people can um, get access to talking about how blockchain technology is being used um, in the agricultural sector. Um, in, and it's being used in all, in all sorts of different ways um, for people on, on an ongoing basis. But if you'd, if you'd like to get a, a copy of that, then just go on to uh, digitalbytes.substack.com and you can see that article and and indeed all our articles that we write over over the weeks as as we sort of look at how where and why blockchain technology and digital assets are being used in various different jurisdictions and industries and there's no adverts in there there's no recommendations we're not trying to give us it's meant to purely be thought-provoking educational so that you can then make a decision as to how and where and why um, you may want to get involved in the technology or the digital assets that technology is being able to produce. That's right. We do only good every day. We certainly try to, James, apart from a few dodgy jokes occasionally. Yeah, I'm probably going to... Uh, I'm not very good at doing good only... I'm not very good at doing only good every day. <laughs> you can rearrange those commas and come out with five different sentences, right? Eat shoots and leaves. Eat shoots and leaves. <laughs> Okay, we better go. We've got Drew in the green room coming up after the break, um, and he'll be talking about how he's seeing um, traditional um, banks, asset managers and the like in, in, um, in Wall Street, your old um, hunting ground, and the interest that they're expressing in um, digital assets and, and, and cryptocurrencies. That's coming up after the break. This article in, in the newsletter talking about how crypto winter may be here again, but blockchain and digital asset innovation are quietly thriving in the summer heat which has been killing me. 
Johnny, bring bring Drew on so we can I can launch my air conditioner. Thanks, James and and Drew. W- welcome to Digibyte Show. God, I feel about a number today. I've got two Americans from across the pond um, on the Digibyte Show. Uh, Drew, before we get into your article, it'd be great just get a bit of background about yourself and about Count Digital and and, and what you're doing in this space. Johnny, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, now you're outnumbered with uh, us across the pond. I'll try not to say any of the. Uh, any of the American phrases that the, uh, the the British don't seem to like. Um, Absolutely. Aluminum in particular. I just don't get that. It's aluminium. The lift and the loo. Um, I can't even anyway. say it the way he says it. It's not even a thing to me. It's aluminum. <laughs> okay. Go exactly. for it. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, very excited to be on the podcast and, and really appreciate the opportunity to write that piece, especially with your, your amazing distribution. Um, so I started my career at JP Morgan. Um, on the derivatives desks. Before that, I, I went to school at Yale studying physics. Um, and I had been in derivatives my whole career. Prior to Cowan Digital, I was running the derivatives team at Cowan. So that was equity options, ETFs, and risk arb. And really had a, a passion for crypto. I, I bought my first Bitcoin back when it was $100 and uh, you know wrote a check to one of my friends and he gave me the secret key. And then I forgot about it. And you know I was one of the people scrambling in 2017 to, to find my secret key and figure out how to get it into a wallet as Bitcoin rallied into you know the thousands and 10,000. Um, and from there, uh, in, in 2020, I had been pushing my, my boss and the CEO of Cowan to get into digital and to start trading Bitcoin options. And Cowan's really an, an entrepreneurial place. We were early in, in biotech in the early 2000s, have been a leader in SPACs and um, cannabis and really you know, areas that, that take a coming together of many groups, including compliance and legal and, and tech and sales um, to be able to do that type of work and and digital really fits into this category of, of an area where I would say our, our our competitors you know the top ten or twenty investment banks have not been in the space so we we formed the Cowan Digital Working Group in 2020 um, that organically and quickly grew to 40 or 50 people at Cowan spanning all of, all of the areas I spoke about if you fast forward to today um, the head of trading at Derivatives came over with me as my partner Eric Rose we're live trading 15 tokens that list should expand to 30 or 40 by the end of the summer. Um, we've made probably a, a dozen hires, mostly in the crypto native space from from places like Coinbase and Paxos and blockchain.com. And I think we're really the the only investment bank with a real crypto effort. We Cowan Digital is a separate company outside of the broker dealer, um, still largely under the Cowan umbrella. And that's um, for regulatory purposes to be able to trade cryptos. So what we want to be is, you know, the adults in the room to bring all of the digital ecosystem from trading to custody to um, secured lending to derivatives um, to the institutional space with with a partner that you know they might not have or might not be used to dealing with um, where most of our competitors are crypto natives okay so you you've obviously come from what what I call the traditional side or tradfi I'm interested in the perspective of your sort of peer group and your cust clients that are traditional banks, asset managers, pension for managers, whatever, how sceptical or how, how, how embraceive are they, would you say, of, of these digital, digital assets, in particular the crypto side of things then? I think we'd be remiss not to at least acknowledge the, the price drop over the last few months and some of the, the blow-offs with Terra Luna and a lot of these bankruptcies haven't caused a slight pause for investors. But if you look across hedge funds, 
a lot of them are already involved in the space, looking at arbitrage trades, looking at strategies that mimic what they do in equities, um, where they can value tokens on a on a cash flow basis or um, on a long short basis. And we're we're seeing a lot of spin outs from the traditional hedge funds of of people either sp- starting pockets or starting their own funds to to trade the tokens. The traditional asset managers with you know hundreds of billions or trillions of dollars have all formed working groups and are at various stages of exploring allocating to digital. And I don't think that the recent price moves have stopped that. Um, you know, we've been at conferences from Bitcoin in Miami to permissionless and all of these endowments, pensions, asset managers, they all have representation at these conferences and they're, they're really doing their due diligence. Um, so I would say, you know, later this year, early next year, we're going to see some large allocations. Um, I know you saw the BlackRock news that they're getting into the space. Yep. And we're really starting to see some of the crypto native funds also gain some institutional credibility. Okay, Drew, so you're seeing um, a number of sort of traditional players the beginning to sort of, as you say, they're doing tests or they're looking at how to get involved in the sort of digital space. Um, we've seen a bit of a pullback. And as you say in your article, sort of talking about a crypto winter, but it hasn't necessarily put people off. And you think that we're going to see interest growing as we see greater allocation to cryptocurrencies over the next sort of uh, couple of years then? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we'd be remiss not to at least acknowledge the price action um, over the last six months with the sell-off. And that certainly has slowed the process for some. But we're seeing lots of hedge funds already in the space getting more active. Um, There are strategies on the market neutral and quantitative side that have been performing very well. And we're seeing spin-outs from hedge funds um, to either starting their own crypto native funds or starting desks within their hedge funds. On the asset allocator side, all of these firms from endowments to pensions to traditional asset managers have formed working groups and I would say are three to 12 months on their process from beginning their allocations into the space at the conferences from Bitcoin Miami to permissionless. All of the endowments and pensions are represented and they're all learning about the space and doing what, what we think is, is proper due diligence um, that this crypto winter has allowed people to do and, and really has allowed companies like Cowan Digital to thrive as we're implementing the highest level of credit checks and compliance into the space. Okay, so perversely, the pullback in prices in some of these cryptos has enabled people almost to take stock. They're not sort of frantically saying, oh, God, it's gone up 10 percent. I must do must. They're saying, hang on, let's look at this as an asset class. Nothing ever goes up forever. We all know that. And they're taking a a look at it and saying, "Okay, well, how do we best get in? Do we do we buy a crypto or do we buy a fund or do we buy a derivative? So there seems to be some more serious attention being paid to the sector from what you're saying. Absolutely. I mean, I think some of these tokens got caught up in the the meme frenzy and the, the the fact that people were buying a lot of retail stocks during the quarantine. And this pullback has allowed people to approach the approach the space not from a an area of FOMO or not wanting to miss out or or fearing fearing of missing multiple hundred percent rallies, but really from looking at the infrastructure, at the picks and shovels, at the underlying fundamentals, and building out a long-term strategy where they can implement trading and access and custody that's secure, um, that their investors will will be happy about for years to come. So I would say in, in the coming months, you know, you've seen the BlackRock news, you're, go- you're going to see the institutions come into the space in a larger way. And I think that's the sign of a maturing industry. Well, and, and going back to one of your previous employers, JP Morgan, you know, they, they announced that, um, well, to use their words, they want to put trillions into the DeFi sector by digitizing mutual funds. So that's quite a turnout for the books, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. You, you've seen, you know, a lot of uh, two-way chatter from the likes of, you know, Jamie Dimon and, and other CEOs, either positive or, or negative towards Bitcoin and the space as a whole. But, you know, blockchain is here to stay. I think a lot of the solutions of DeFi and NFTs and blockchain in general are, are very elegant. Um, you know, they're elegant in the same way that Web2 and Google and Amazon and Facebook were elegant solutions to the problems of, you know, dial-up modems and AOL um, back in the early 2000s. So the user experiences will continue to get better. The use cases for blockchain will continue to increase, and that should increase interest in investing in these tokens and, and different aspects of the space. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right there, Drew, in the sense that not everyone will necessarily get into crypto, but I think there's a growing trend for people to use the technology behind, you know, cryptos and, you know, things that power Bitcoin, i.e. blockchain technology. And, and you mentioned earlier there about NFTs, um, and that's another another way that there seems to be growing interest. Um, and I, I like your expression, NFTs moving beyond PFPs, um, profile pictures, which I thought was, was a, a good expression because we've seen a lot of interest in things like um, the, the board, eight yacht club and, and, and the like, haven't we, which has attracted a lot of money. I think the use cases of NFTs go well beyond the art world. And, and that's a really good art and music is a good starting point. But even if you look at, you mentioned the board apes, like think about being a board ape holder versus um, owning some other piece of art that that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. As a board ape holder, you're, you're a member of a, an exclusive club where you get to be in chat rooms and exclusive events with Eminem and Jimmy Fallon and Justin Bieber. And you get a verifiable digital asset that you can you can put as your profile picture on Instagram. And, and they're, they're working on ways to actually verify this. If for the younger generation, it's essentially a flex. It's like owning a Ferrari. But on yeah. top of that, if you owned a board ape, you, you were dropped a mutant ape. Um, those are worth tens of thousands of dollars. Um, you also got dropped board ape coins, which at a period of time are worth over $100,000. And that gives you voting rights and, and power into the community of the board apes. Um, but beyond that, there are, there are many use cases from concert tickets to consumer goods to the deeds on your house and your will not needing to be stored for thousands of dollars in some warehouse or some filing cabinet somewhere, but to be verified and accessible on the blockchain. You know, I think there are tons and tons of use cases there. I think there's a real use case to digitize funds and to have fractionalized ownership being traded in funds like JP Morgan, where instead of taking weeks or months to have loan agreements and, and fund documents in place, it can all be verified on the blockchain. Yeah. And, and you can get almost real-time settlement as opposed to waiting several days um, you know, to get your money. But going back to the NFTs, you know, a few names from you know, your side of the pond, you've know, you you've got people like NFL, Nike, Coach, Wrangler Jeans, um, Nivea. All of them are actually using, um, you know, even Bud Light got in on the action with a Bud Light Next um, releasing 12,000 NFTs. So all of these are global brands getting involved in NFTs, um, which is quite a, kind of funny because you're seeing global brands coming into the Big Apple and saying, OK, well, this is a potential new asset class for people to get their heads around, which be interesting to see how they perform as we see the trend of growing interest rates. Um, against the inflationary backdrop, because higher interest rates is bad news for bondholders, normally not great for equity holders. So it'd be interesting to see how some of these other cryptos and NFTs perform over the next few months. I think, you know, going back to NFTs, there there certainly are real world use cases. I think the adoption is only increasing and it's an amazing way for brands and teams to connect with their fans and to really understand their fan base and, and do things like, 
giveaways and concert tickets and um, have exclusive memberships to events. Um, all of this can be done through blockchain technology. You know, you you mentioned inflation. I think I think another area where we're seeing continued adoption of of crypto is the fact that it's becoming correlated to other asset classes. You know, we haven't we haven't fully seen Bitcoin or Ethereum be the be the perfect inflation hedge. Um, although I think there are arguments to be made um, that that should be the case. But once once these asset classes become correlated to interest rates and equities. They garner the interest of the macro community, and that just leads to more people talking about it, yeah. more credible research on more adoption. Brilliant, brilliant. James, um, you, you've obviously had no problem today understanding Drew because he, he speaks your mother tongue. Have you got any any thoughts or conclusions? I bet you Drew went to the very same deli. I want to say <laughs> it was on VC Street where the guy was accepting Bitcoin for the bacon, egg, and cheese sandwiches. This is like 2010. <laughs> I remember paying like one Bitcoin for a bacon, egg, cheese, and a coffee. And uh, it was VC that's Street. Maybe. That's an expensive uh, egg sandwich. <laughs> Not in 2010. <laughs> I, I want to believe it was like $1.89 or something like that. I mean, it's wow. really old school, but that's where I worked. I think you probably crossed paths with me somewhere around Nassau Street. Right. I definitely know Vessi. I live there and I might be dating myself, but I graduated in, in 2004. So that was uh, that was pre Bitcoin. I barely I barely had a cell phone as a freshman, um, <laughs> but I, I do know the deli you're talking about. <laughs> See that small world after all. No, I, I am big on the uh, you know, what really caught my attention was the uh, you guys didn't really bring up like the soul bound idea. I'm a bit advocate of uh that soul bound, or maybe we, we stop transfers and for governance and all, you know, all of these things, but you're on point with NFTs, the future with, you know, we talk about cars all the time and titles and insurance and registration. So I'm glad to see that, that people like you are, are taking our experience in a professional world and, and applying these real world situations. It's yeah, good. absolutely. Absolutely. I got to do a shameless plug. Yeah, go for it. You know, we're we're trying to make the workflow easier. It is it is complicated to trade crypto as it you know atomic instantaneous settlement. If you trade into the wrong wallet, you know you, your your coins are gone. So we're trying to bring a trusted counterparty and, and workflows that are similar to equities with with things like post trade settlement, um, flexible funding, um, tr trading with a without needing to pre fund the trades like like you have to on a lot of these exchanges. And I think in the next three to five years, you'll see. You'll see user experiences like video games and metaverse companies and, and NFTs where you're not going to be worried about what the underlying technology is, whether it's Ethereum or Avalanche or Solana, but the user experience is going to be seamless and people will use it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Totally agree. Drew, thank you very much for coming on the show today. And James, thanks for getting everything organized. And we'll be back next week with another edition of Digital Bytes. In the meanwhile, uh, Drew, before we go... Um, if people want to get hold of um, yourself, I know you're on LinkedIn, but perhaps you can just give the listeners um, your email address. And then if you've got any queries or want a copy of the article, um, you can get it over to them or we're, we're certainly able to do that for you. But if you can just give us the best way to get hold of yourself. You can find us on the Cowan website. I'm on LinkedIn. Cowan Digital's on LinkedIn. So we'd love to hear from everybody and connect. Um, we do a lot of events in the city and across the country. So thanks for the time. Really appreciate coming on your show. It was uh, quite fun. That's good. Good. Good to have you. That's Cowan uh, Digital and Drew Foreman. And James and I will be back on the airwaves next week um, with another edition of Digital Bytes. Thank you very much indeed for listening in.